Welcome again to Aerosmith Baptist Church in our online service. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this time that we can meet together, uh, at least online, and uh, still study your word, Lord, and worship you. And we thank you that your word is living and active and is uh, able to speak to us through whatever means and that you are able to work through that. So we thank you for this opportunity, Lord. We thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, just ask for your help to speak it clearly, Lord, and that we would be able to hear and understand. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passage this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to chapter 6, verse 13. Give you a minute to turn there. thought I'd start out with a bit of humor this morning and uh, just looking at some observations about marriage from a kid's perspective. So the, to the question, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? Derek, age eight, says, well, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. To the question, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? Lori, age eight, says, well, both don't want to have any more kids. To the question, when is it okay to kiss someone? Pam, age seven, says, when they're rich. And to the ultimate question, how would you make a marriage work? Ricky, age 10, says, well, tell your wife that she looks pretty, even though she might look like a dump truck. And that probably goes vice versa as well. So relationships are challenging. God designed us to be relational, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. It's hard because we're selfish, broken, sinful people interacting with other selfish, broken, sinful people. Thankfully, God has designed a better way and gives us the power to live it out. Through the book of Ephesians, as has been mentioned, it's starting with big ideas and then breaking them down and fleshing them out, a progression from, more, from general to more specific, from conceptual to practical, how we can live this out. You know, it, it goes through and lists all that God has done for us through Christ. He has chosen us. He has blessed us. He saved us, united us, loved us, empowered us. He is unifying us through his church and transforming and sanctifying us through his Holy Spirit. So the question is, based on all that Christ has done for us, how do we live out our Christian walk? The last chapter, the last passages, we saw the ways of darkness that we once lived in, the attitudes and behaviors that we're to turn from, to put off, and to not walk in anymore. And we also saw that God's way of light that we're to walk in, to put on the new man, 
and gave us guidelines for Christian living and Christian conduct. We looked at general relationships between believers, how we're supposed to act with other believers. Now we're looking at three specific relationships, marriage, family, and work. And these will definitely put our Christian walk to the test. It's a challenging passage in many ways, both to hear and to preach, and we'll try to approach it with sensitivity and grace, and plainly holding forth God's word of truth, not adding or diminishing from it. So we'll pick it up. Actually, we'll go back to verse 21 and start there. Chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So I started back a bit on verse 21. It kind of sets the whole tone of the passage. It's a key verse. That word submitting there, it's a Greek word, uh, hupotasso. Hupo meaning under and tasso to place in certain order. Basically in our minds to each willingly place ourselves in a sub subordinate position to other believers. Done as a loving act of worship to our Lord and Savior Jesus, who humbled himself for us and gave us his example. I think of the passage in Philippians 2, verses 1 to 5. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So as followers of Christ, this attitude of loving humility should govern all of our relationships. And nowhere more than in the marriage relationship, really the most significant earthly relationship apart from our relationship with Christ. And so Paul starts out by giving instructions to the wives to submit to their own husbands. Not the most popular verse, I realize, probably one of the most challenged verses in the Bible. It's in the Bible, so we're going to teach it and work through it. The wife's position of submission, it doesn't mean she's inferior or lesser in status or abilities. It's really the total opposite. Wives are able to do pretty much anything a husband can, maybe better in some cases. And wives definitely do some things that husbands can't, namely childbirth, which we're very grateful for. I don't think husbands would probably handle that very well. 
marriage isn't about competing with each other, but completing each other. This is talking about roles in marriage. Not about tasks, about who does what in the relationship. That varies between each marriage. These are God-ordained different roles for husbands and wives. The wife's role is to submit to her husband. And we'll look at the husband's role in a little bit later. We're really all called to submit, as we saw earlier, just in different ways. This word submit is different than the ver in verse 21. It's a personal word, a private, your own is really what it means, to submit to your own husband. Um, it's not to be subject, a wife is not to be subject to anyone else's husband, only her own. And the wives are to submit to her husband as to the Lord. Submitting is an act of worship to God. It's about obeying and glorifying God through fulfilling her role in marriage. We see the husband's role is to be the head of the wife, the leader of the house. And we see that God is also painting a bigger picture through marriage of Jesus and the church. As the church, the body of Christ, submits to Jesus, the head, so the wife is to submit to her husband, the head of the house. And this is definitely not easy. The husband, of course, is not Jesus, is not perfect. And so we need more grace and each growing in Christ-likeness, as we saw in the previous passages. And the, really, the more the husband is fulfilling his role, the easier it is for the wife to fulfill hers. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In this passage, there's more instructions given to husbands than to wives. There, there's a greater responsibility placed on the husbands. And maybe the husbands just need more instructions and need it spelled out more as well. The greatest and primary task of a husband is to love their wives. Not just on, in romantic gestures and words and practical actions, doing the chores, fixing things. We love to do that, and those things are important. But this is love on a deeper level. It's a self-sacrificial love, like Jesus for his bride, the church. He gave up everything, even his life, so that we might live and have a relationship with him. And the husbands are called to do the same for their wives, willing to give up everything, to crucify their sinful nature, to put to death selfishness and pride in order to be a blessing to their wife, to have a greater, deeper relationship and glorify God through that. The husband is also called to take the spiritual lead in the household, especially relating to God's word. 
to be in the word himself, to do devotions, to read it out loud, to share and discuss with his wife. In, do, in doing so, to help in hers and each other's sanctification. Again, that growing in Christ-likeness. Think of Jesus' words to his disciples in John 15, verse 3. He says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. God's word is to have a purifying effect on us, exposing sin and cutting it out with the Holy Spirit's help. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Husbands are to love and take care of their wives like they would take care of their own bodies. For the most part, we try to take good care of our own bodies, especially some of us with food. And we usually think of wives as the nurturing ones. It comes more naturally, generally. But the husbands are also called to have a nurturing, caring love for their wives, to look after their well-being to provide for their physical and spiritual nourishment, to be considerate of their needs, to listen, to be attentive, to be encouraging and supportive, to have a cherishing love, to treasure and esteem their wives above all others. Like the parable of the hidden treasure, to give everything to obtain the treasure in the field. And this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. He sacrificed everything for us, his treasure. He's our good shepherd who leads us, provides for us, and protects us. Again, husbands are to do this for their wives. So husbands, if asked, would your wife say she feels nurtured and cherished in your marriage? And wives, if your husband loved you in this way, would it make it easier to submit to him? And really, the responsibility falls first on the husband to take the lead. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. If the husbands are to be imitating Christ and the wife is to be the church, we didn't love God first. He loved us first. And so we must do also. So guys, this is a challenge. It's a, it's a high bar, but that's good. We are created to rise to the challenge. And we won't do it perfectly. We're fallen and sinful being sanctified by the Lord, but we still make mistakes. And when we fail, though, it doesn't negate the wife's role as well. She still needs to submit to her husband. And we both really need the Holy Spirit's help 
to be humble and show lots of grace to each other. Verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, each, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. One of the criticisms of the biblical teachings on marriage is that it was mostly cultural for the time that it was written. It merely follows the culture of the time, but we're, we've progressed past that. It's now outdated and antiquated. Interestingly, the New Testament writers and Jesus himself always go back to the beginning. They always go back to Genesis, where God instituted marriage back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. This says that the teaching on marriage isn't cultural. It transcends culture. It's before culture. At that time, there was no culture. There was two people living in the garden. So it's not, a, it's not an issue of culture. This, this is God's design for marriage. God's word is always relevant. God hasn't changed. His word hasn't changed. Fallen human nature hasn't changed. So it always is able to speak to our lives. The mystery of marriage and the church, Paul says, is, is intertwined. You know, really illustrating God's master plan and design for both the church and for marriage. The husband and wife become one flesh. The church, the bride of Christ, is united through him. We, we saw that, that the dividing walls are brought down, that we are united in him and through him. God's plan and design for marriage is the best one. You know, he knows our needs better than we do. He created us. He knows us. Husbands are to love their wives as themselves, to have a sacrificial love. Women are created with a deep inbuilt need to feel loved. Wives are to respect their husbands. And men have a deep, inbuilt need to feel respected. So God knows that by fulfilling our roles in marriage, we are building each other up into what God has designed us to be and what we need. So let us seek to humbly submit to Christ and to each other and to glorify God through our marriages. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The second significant relationship that uh, Paul deals with is 
between parents and children, of families. And so this command, the verses seem pretty self-explanatory right off the top. Children, obey your parents. Honor your parents. You know, it, it seems simple, but it's not so simple. There is something about kids that always like to push the rules. It's inbuilt, right? We don't have to train them to disobey. It, they do it naturally. And as I was preparing this, it was, it's funny to look back on my own childhood from perspective as a parent now. You know, when I was younger, I was obedient, I think, for the most part. Uh, obviously, I had some issues. Uh, struggled with anger, struggled with emotions. Um, nothing too, too crazy. However, as a teenager, I totally went off the rails. Rebelled big time. I was wild, angry, defiant, a, a handful to my parents, I'm sure. And eventually, what it took was my mom's death when I was 16 to shock me, to bring me back to God, to start that journey back to God. But I remember, you know, being a teenager, and I just thought I knew so much. And, and it's true, right? You, you think that. You just think you know way more than your parents. Oh, your parents, they don't know anything. And now I see, really, they were incredibly patient with me. They probably didn't know what to do with me. I'm sure they didn't know what to do with me. They prayed, I bet, like crazy. But they were trying their best. And so I have a newfound respect now that I'm a parent of multiple teenagers. I realize they were right. It's kind of that circle of life. As, as a younger child, you know, your parents know everything. As a teenager, your parents know nothing. You get to be an adult again, and especially a parent. All of a sudden, hey, your parents are pretty smart. And so I'm at that, at that stage now. But they were right. I realized I would have saved myself a lot of pain and problems if I would have listened and obeyed them as a teenager. So children are instructed to obey their parents. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It is a righteous thing to do. It pleases God. It's part of God's design, a part of his roles in family. So while under the parent's roof, children are to obey their parents. So it's right for children to obey because it teaches them to follow rules. Part of living in society is following rules, although that seems to be happening a lot less lately, and that seems to be up for debate. But generally, we're to follow the rules. They're there to keep us safe, like guardrails on a highway. Keeps us from going off and uh, getting into problems. And where else to learn that? Where else are kids to learn that but at home? And most importantly, to learn to obey God's holy rules, his commandments, and that job of parents to raise up godly offspring. They'll have a much harder time learning to obey God if they haven't learned to obey their parents. Right? Because believe it or not, parents do know stuff. 
I know. They do have some wisdom and experience. So it's a good idea to listen to parental advice and save yourself from potential problems like I did or didn't do. Obeying parents generally applies while living under their roof and before adulthood. But children are to honor their parents for their whole lives. It's the fifth commandment, Deuteronomy 5.16. And as is mentioned, it's the first commandment with a promise attached. The promise that things will go well and they'll have a long life. That promise has a short-term fulfillment. If you don't honor your parents as a child, things will not go well. You will face discipline. You may be grounded or something else. So that's a short-term fulfillment of that promise. But honoring parents is to be a lifelong thing. And in doing so, it honors God. It pleases him when we obey. It's how we show our love to God, by obeying his commandments. And honoring your parents does, demonstrates wisdom and really a right heart attitude that we are honoring God. It's a good foundation to build on. We honor our parents by respecting them, by listening to them, by treating them well, by taking care of them and helping them when they're older. And maybe today you didn't have good parents. Your upbringing wasn't good. And it's a hard thing to honor your parents. Well, maybe, maybe you can honor them best by forgiving them and choosing to raise your own kids differently in a God-honoring way. We see that fathers, again, are to take the lead role in parenting, to set the tone, not to provoke children to anger, to exasperate them, as it says in other versions. Um, exasperating is the kid's job, I think, um, most of the time, um, which does happen. Um, so again, to be a spiritual leader, to discipline and teach them in the ways of the Lord. That Greek word, discipline, uh, peadia, don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Thayer's Greek lexicon defines it as the whole training and education of children which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals and employs for this purpose now commands and admonitions, now reproof and punishment. It also includes the training and care of the body. So dads are to be actively involved in all the aspects of raising kids and not to leave it to their wives. So let's seek to glorify God as parents in raising godly, functional, respectful, responsible kids to send out into the world for God's kingdom. Verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, 
knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So the last significant relationship is in the workplace between employee and employer. It's really the place where we'll probably spend most of our waking adult lives at. The word bondservant, uh, some of you may know the Greek word doulos. It's one in a position of servitude, whether voluntarily or involuntarily. And when this was written, there would actually be slaves, as was common in the Roman Empire at the time. Today, we see that as, as basically the employee-employer relationship. Basically, while at work, you're in a position of voluntary service to an employer. And that phrase, with fear and trembling, again, the Greek lexicon says, is used to des describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability completely to meet all requirements, but religiously does his utmost to fulfill his duty. So we are to work hard and diligently in our jobs, not for eye service or a people pleaser on the surface. We're not to just look like a good worker, but we're to actually be good workers. The term eye service is like working hard just when the boss is around, but slacking off when he's gone. It's what that show, if you've ever seen it, Undercover Boss is like, where they put these hidden cameras and film the employees when the bosses aren't around and see all the crazy hijinks that they get up to. That's eye service. That's what it's referring to. We're not to be like that. We're really to work as unto Christ. Everything we do is to please him and to do his will. And ultimately, he is our true master. We are his bondservants. So whatever we do at work, school, parenting, ministry, we're to do as service for the Lord. And we receive a paycheck for our work here as reward for our work. And that's temporary, sometimes more temporary than others. You get it, and it seems to be gone before you even cash it. But we can look forward to an eternal reward from God for whatever labor we do for him here on earth. And there's instructions for the employers as well to do their jobs for Christ. Again, to serve and please him. They're not to be harsh or threatening with their employees. That might get quick or instant results, but it really doesn't truly um, you know, mean that you're a good manager or boss. That's not how management is supposed to be. And really knowing that employers have a master and judge in heaven as well, who them and we are all, all are ultimately accountable to. So let's seek to humbly and diligently serve Christ through our work and bring glory to God.
So God designed us to be relational with each other and most importantly, to have a relationship with him through Jesus. It's why we're created, for the purpose of knowing, worshiping, and glorifying God. We're made complete in him. And the enemy, the devil, wants to destroy and undo anything that God creates, specifically relationships. We know that the marriage and family is under great attack right now from the world and from um, Satan. We need God's help. And we'll look and see at the next passage how we can stand strong against the enemy's attacks and be strong for our families, for our marriages, and have integrity at work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it is always true, it is always relevant, Lord. And your design is the best. Your design for marriage, your design for families, your design for, for the workplace. Lord, we thank you. You've created us to be relational and to uh, know you ultimately most of all. We thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice on the cross for our sins so that we can know you through faith in him. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us, who is transforming us and sanctifying us into the image of Christ. Lord, we need your help in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces. Lord, work in our hearts. Work in these situations, Lord, for your glory, that we may just proclaim the joy of Christ in wherever we're at, Lord. That's what we seek to do. We want to honor you and live for you. Help us to do that as we go our separate ways this week, Lord. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.